Good morning. Thanks, one person. Um, grab your Bible and flip to the book of Psalms. I guess you guys are still awake, asleep, not awake. There we go. Um, we'll be in Psalm 19 today, so there should be a black Bible in front of you, and if you don't own a Bible, uh, that can be a gift from us to you. So as you get there, think with me to a time before coronavirus, right? Like this is it's not that long ago, but think to a time before coronavirus. So when you see someone you love, what do you do? You hug them, right? Uh, that would be before coronavirus. You just embrace a big, deep hug. You meet someone new, what do you do? You shake their hand without the awkwardness that goes into it now. Like, do I shake your hand? Do I not shake your hand? You go eat to a, to a restaurant full of people, right? Like you're just... You're not going like, man, I think there's a lot of people in this restaurant. You just walk in. You enjoy hearing the crowds as you come into the restaurant. You go see movies full of people in the theaters. Uh, You drink good drink. You sit in a coffee shop and you enjoy amazing coffee for hours. And maybe you go on beautiful hikes. And this was not years ago what I'm describing. It might feel like years ago, but it's not years ago. And sure, some of these things are back on the plate. So you may have gone to a restaurant or maybe you went to a coffee shop or wherever, right? Or maybe you went on a hike, but it still does not feel the same, does it? I saw a friend, uh, a good friend at a coffee shop the other day, and we, we kind of saw each other across the room. We came to each other. We went for a hug. Midway through the hug, it turned to kind of a handshake and then into, into an elbow, and then we looked behind each other to see if people are judging us because we're about to touch. Right? Like, that's real. And before we talk about this, uh, before we continue to talk about this new norm of this awkwardness. So instead of doing this, let's take a moment and talk about, uh, talk about the good that happened before coronavirus and happened during co- coronavirus. So God has given us lots of good gifts, right? Like before coronavirus and during coronavirus. Like the other day, I went to a pool, and while I was at the pool, the smell of summer, right, like chlorine basically, you're just smelling it, and then the sun hits my face. That's a good gift from God. That same day, my middle child, uh, Simon, was chasing Milana on a tricycle, and both of them were just laughing, like that belly laugh that the kids have, and as they laugh, you just can't help but laugh with them. Like, that's a good gift from God. Uh, Or a couple weeks ago, we made steaks, and I think steaks are like the best food on planet Earth, so it was just delicious food. So sun hitting my face, or laughter, or great food, all of these things are gifts from God for us to enjoy, for us to remember how good he is. James, Jesus' half-brother, says it like this in James 1.17. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. So God is the author of good gifts. He loves us and gives us these gifts. And these good gifts, they come to us no matter what is happening in life. No matter if there is coronavirus happening or not, these good gifts are still happening. The sun hitting my face, no matter what's happening in life, no matter how much anxiety I might feel that day, the sun still hits me in the face, right? I can still smell the chlorine and feel that summer air. 
or the laughter of my kids happen no matter what's happening in the world. And God is the author of those good gifts, right? Like I'm listing a couple of good things that happened in my life, and I bet you can probably list a hundred other things. In fact, God is so much greater than all those gifts. And because of his great love for us, he gives us good things to enjoy, to laugh, to taste, to feel, to see. And those good things tell us about an even greater God, right? Like, so every good gift has God behind it. But life happens, right? Coronavirus happened. And life throws us transitions and changes. And some of these transitions and changes are out of our control, right? Like, no one signed up for a pandemic this year, right? Like, when 2020 happened, you're like, sign me up for a pandemic. Like, no one, no one did say that, but we're living in that. And some come because of the choices we make. And these changes, these transitions are all part of being a human. And they come in many forms, such as a new job or new relationships or, or diagnoses or pandemics, or conflicts, or so much more, right? But no matter what life brings, the question, the question I want us to wrestle with today, the question I want us to see in this psalm is how do we see the Creator? How do we see God always, no matter what is happening in life? No matter what transition we're in, no matter what change we're in, no matter how bad our attitude might be, how do we see God and rest with God? So that's the question I want us to wrestle with today, and, and that's the question that the psalm ultimately answers. So let's dive in. You should have it open. David is the author of this beautiful psalm, and the psalm is known to be one of the best psalms in the Psalter, right? So it's known to be one of the best. It's like Bob Dylan's psalm of the Bible, or whatever hipster artist you listen to. The psalm is one of the, the one that swept the Grammys. So... There we go, there's one laugh. Um, so David starts off this way, this beautiful psalm. He says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. So in the midst of chaos, in the midst of chaos of life, how do we see God? David says, look around or look up. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims his handiwork declare, proclaim. This, this creation is speaking. This creation is trying to say something. This creation is trying to announce something. This creation is trying to make some noise. This creation is trying to make something known to us. And creation is making known to us the glory of God and his handiwork. In other words, when, when we look up and see the stars, uh, millions of millions of millions of stars uh, on a beautiful night sky, uh, when you see the planets or the clouds in the sky, or when you see the sunset or a storm that rolls through, all of that and much more speak of the one who made all of this. It's speaking about the one who created all of it. It's speaking about God who made this world, right? Like Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God spoke the world. God spoke it and, it, and it happened. He spoke the sky into existence and heavens into existence. So the announcement, the declaration of God's glory uh, is, so the declaration and the announcement is of God's glory and his handiwork. And what's really cool is that if it didn't, it didn't just happen a long time ago, but it happens each day, right? Like morning comes 
each day. Night happens each day. There'll be a storm, but there'll be another storm. And so this declaration, this announcement happens every day. And that's what David says in verse 2. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So each day is saying to God be the glory. Each night is revealing this knowledge. Yesterday said, yesterday said God made me, and to him be the glory. Today says God made me, and to him be the glory. Tomorrow will say God made me, and to him be the glory. You see, God is active. He is in creation. He can just make this and let it go. No, no, he's in it. He's active. Colossians 1, verse 16 and 17 describes this. this is by, so for by him, describing Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Right? This means that Jesus made the heavens and the earth, and he's the one who's still holding it all together. He's active in this. He didn't just set it in motion and was like, ah, I'll check it in a hundred years, see how they're doing. No, he's active in it every morning, every day, every night, and he still holds it together. And everything that is made is made by him and for him and for his glory. Now, verse 3 says, There's no speech, nor are there words. This is back in Psalm, um, whose voice is not heard. So this announcement, this declaration, the announcement is spoken everywhere, everywhere on the planet and outside the planet. Like, this is happening in Russia and Australia and Antarctica and here in Greeley. Like God made this, and to him be the glory. God is power, powerfully showing us that he made this world, and to him be the glory. This proclamation, these words, as verse now 4 through 6 describe, their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chambers, and like a strong man runs its course with joy, its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. In other words, everywhere where the sun hits, it's declaring God. When the first rays hit the Rocky Mountains, it's declaring God's glory. It's declaring, declaring his handiwork. It's declaring that God holds all things together. When the first rays hit the mountain, it's announcing God's beauty and power and faithfulness. This is one of the billion things that is upheld by God through Jesus. And he's announcing that he is the one who made all this. He has made the mountains. He has made the oceans. He has made the stars above. And he makes beautiful things, doesn't he? All these nonverbal words are proclaiming that there is a God. And Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 1. He says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that, were, that have been made, so they are without excuse. So to some degree, everyone sees the beauty of 
the creation, and the creation is, which is telling that someone had to create it, right? So creation always speaks of the creator. Like, you can't look at the creation and just admire the creation without ever going, how did this happen? There's a creator behind it. But on either side of this doctrine, there's this truth about creation and the creator. There are two gutters that we have a tendency to fall in. There's two gutters. So gutter number one. Gutter number one is to forget to look at the creation at all. Uh, It is to ignore the beauty in the first place, right? Like we are in a season of hardship uncertainty, chaos. All of us are experiencing something, and in the midst of this kind of feeling, this gutter becomes a reality because we forget to look up. We forget to see the beauty. We we sometimes forget to even look up and see the mountains. Like, sure, we live in Colorado, but when's the last time you actually enjoyed the Rocky Mountains with the oneness of a creator behind them? We forget to see the sunshine. When's the last time you looked at the sun and you were like, man, this is, this is a God who decided in his love to give us the sunshine rays to hit my face and to enjoy this warmth on my face. We forget to notice the laughter or even to laugh. When's the last time you laughed? Like the belly laugh, like the laugh that you're laughing and you're just kind of going, man, I, I'm enjoying this kind of laugh right now. Like that kind of laugh. In other words, in other words, In this kind of season, we let the weight of life weigh us down. We get tunnel vision, and we don't see the reminders God has set all around us of his character and his presence. And so we fall into this gutter to forget to even look. We don't even look up. So that's gutter number one. The other other gutter is the opposite extreme. We could look at the create, created things of God and, to be, and be amazed by them, by the beauty of it, but subtly neglect the creator of those amazing gifts. Right? Like this, is, this happens all the time in my life. I get to enjoy something, and I'm like, man, God made this. Like right now for me, running is that kind of thing. So I started running when, right, right when coronavirus hit. And at first I was like, God, thank you for running shoes. Thank you for being able to run. This is so great. And then there's a moment where it shifts from running and saying, God, thank you for this, to just, I love running. I enjoy running, and running actually satisfies me. And so it starts very ever so subtly and moves that way. We say, God made these. Wow, I'm amazed. But over time, there's a shift. It goes from God is amazing for creating these things into whatever you pick, the category, these mountains or running are amazing, period. These mountains are the thing that makes me happy or it makes me feel good or running makes me happy and running makes me feel good. Do you see the difference of that? It starts with giving praise and honor to the creator, but over time we praise creation. We praise the created things more than we praise God who created these things for us. He he made those things for us to enjoy, but we elevate those enjoying things to the level of him. And this happens with every good gift that God gives. It happens with delicious food. It happens with good drinks like beer and wine. It happens with creative things like sun or the mountains. It starts with like, wow, God, you're amazing for creating this, right? Like this, the Snow Peak Mountains, they're amazing. 
But, but then slowly it shifts like, yeah, they're amazing mountains. And, or this food is, is a good thing and I enjoy this food, period. Or this coffee is giving me life. I'm so grateful for coffee, period. And I don't even, even try to even point to a God who decided in his love to create beans who then will be crushed to make coffee. Like we don't think about it. I'm just like, I'm glad there's coffee this morning because my kids kept me up late, right? Like, I'm just glad for coffee, period. We forget the one who gives us these good gifts. So coffee, hiking, food becomes the end in themselves. So which gutter have you been leaning into? Do you need to look up and see God, that he's a still good God who gives good gifts? Like to look up and see the beauty, to see the laughter, to taste, to feel. Or do you need to stop looking at these gifts as a source of joy and look behind those gifts and see the creator? Which gutter are you in right now? See, verses 1 through 6 describe what theologians call the general revelation of God. Uh, creation, common grace, consciousness. These are things that are available to all people as evidence of God. God gives these generously to every person on the face of the earth to point us to himself. But David is not done in our passage, is he? No, he, he, is, he is not saying, look at the creation, period. Right? Like our passage doesn't stop at verse 6. It keeps going. It's almost as if he knows that general revelation is not enough. We need special revelation. And that's what theologians call it, the special revelation. So general revelation is fantastic and good and true, but we can't look at the mountains. We can't look at it, say, wow, there's a creator behind it, and realize that from that, logically, re- realize that God became man and then he went and died for our sins, right? Like, that does not happen. We just notice that there's a creator behind the mountains. So God speaks to us through mountains, and mountains declare his glory, but in love, God also speaks to us through his word. He makes himself known to us, better known to us, through his word, right? That like we're studying right now. As we're looking through this, we're, we're getting to know the creator behind the mountains, so God, in love, speaks to us through his word. He makes himself known to us. So God reveals himself through Jesus, and he reveals Jesus to us through his word, and his word is inspired. It's an errant and original writings, and it's full of authority. So when we go to the Bible, we, we see Jesus. So let's look at how David says uh, what he says about the word. In verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The word is, is this fresh water, right? David says, hey, living water that revives, revival happens inside your soul. It is sure. And the next verse, he says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. In the world where there's darkness at every corner, there's so much darkness all around us, his word brings us light. It is right and pure, and it's the source of joy. Now, verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. 
the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So his words are clean, will last forever. Because of his word, we know God and our hearts are taught to honor him, to praise him, to see him. Right? Like we, we see the mountain and we, 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 we get to see the creator behind it. And then we study about this creator and through his word, we get to see this and how we praise him and honor him. And then, in fact, David wants us to see the word, scriptures, like verse 10. He says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Nature and God's creation tell us about God's reality and his power. But it can't speak about his saving grace, right? As verse 8 says, the word can enlighten the eyes. That means when we hear his word, when we read his word, through the word we, we are revealed, he reveals himself to us and shows us his salvation. And his words are true, righteous, perfect, and are the living water that our souls thirst for. When we desire God and we're hungry for him, his word feeds us more than food. It is our necessary meal. It's better than honey, sweet as honey. And verse 11 says, Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. So it's God's word that warns us. It's God's word through the spirit that pokes our heart. It's God shows us where we are wrong. It's God, God shows us our sinfulness. God is then faithful to forgive us because he says that where? In his word. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, just like the creation has two gutters, there are two gutters on either side of the truth of God's word that we can fall into. One gutter, first one, is simply to neglect his word. Simply to neglect his word, to stop reading it. There could be many reasons for this, right? There's many reasons for this. Maybe it's because life is hard and there's so much noise right now. And as you're reading it, or you don't read it, you just want to keep following the news and politics and everything. And you just don't have enough space for, for you to go to his word. Maybe you're just in a dry season. Maybe you're just dry season. You go to the word and you're not sure if it is feeding you. You kind of read a chapter or you read a passage and you're just like, I'm not sure if it fed me. So you stop reading the Bible altogether or it becomes something that you come to seasonally. But it, it's not your daily meal. So that's your first gutter. Uh, the second gutter is the other extreme, right? It's uh, you read the Bible too much. I'm kidding. You can laugh about that. It's, it was kind of serious talking about the Bible. We all get kind of nervous when people tell us to read the Bible, so I wanted to have some humor there. So the, if the first gutter is to say, is stop reading the Bible altogether, the second gutter, the second gutter is reading for the wrong reason. It's reading for the wrong reason. It's the self-righteous reading of God's Word. You read not because you want to hang out with God or to be with Him, but because it makes you feel better than or superior to others. You think of Pharisees and how much they knew and memorized the Bible, but they miss God 
in the flesh right in front of him. Right in front of them. They cared more about what people thought about their righteousness than they cared about God. And they wanted to look and feel spiritual. They wanted the gold star, but they didn't want God himself. This way of reading the Bible can be disciplined, but also fruitless. It builds your pride, but not your walk with God. You, you go to the Bible just so you can kind of pat yourself on the back. And so you might even have, ha- you might have half of the Bible memorized, but your relationship with God doesn't even exist. So you know a lot, but really like, you don't really go to God and be like, man, my God, this is who I am longing to be with. And so you see, David is saying that when we go to the word, it's like honey, sweet for the soul. It's the living water that saves us and sustains us. It's the bread of life that is enough today. It might not always feel like this rich feast, but it will be enough for today. It will sustain you like daily bread, and that is enough for today. So which gutter are you in today? Have you, which gutter have you been falling into? Have you let the noise pull you away from the bread of life? Or have you been counting your gold stars? Basically, have you been patting yourself on the back? So, so far, David is showing us that God is speaking to us. God is speaking to us in the midst of no matter what's happening, whether we're in good season or in a rough season, God is still speaking to us. God speaks to us through his creation. To him be the glory. God speaks to us through, through his word, inviting us into his, to a relationship with him. And when that's the case, when that's the case, when we're walking in the truth of God's revelation, not falling into either one of those gutters, when we look up and see the creator behind all these gifts, when we look, when we, when we come to his word as a place of intimacy, God starts to work on us. God starts to work on us. He starts to change us. He, he starts to mold us to look more and more like his son, Jesus. That's always the case. And it comes from a place of want from us. It comes from a place of love. Right? Like as God starts molding us and shaping us, you start to realize, like, man, that was kind of rough edge of me. I struggle with pride or I struggle with this, whatever that is, right? And you want him to work on you. And David goes on. Verse 12, he says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. See, so right here, David begins a prayer. He begins asking a, a question, a, kind, of a, a, kind of a question. He says, who can discern his heirs? Well, the answer is no one. Apart from God, we are blind to our sin. But God discerns our heirs, right? And God declares our, us innocent. We can look at these words and know that God answers David's prayer on our behalf. He declares our, us innocent from even our most hidden faults because Jesus died on the cross for us. He took our sin. He gave us his righteousness. And in that righteousness, we're declared innocent. How do we know that? 
How do we know this little piece of information that I just said, the, the, basically the proclamation of the gospel? How do we know that? It's in his word. It's in his word. We go and we read about it. Where do we see it? It's in his word. Now, verse 13. David continues, says, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He's crying out. He's praying this. And through Jesus, this prayer is also answered. Had been answered. Through Jesus, the power and dominion of sin is broken. Through Jesus, we're not only declared innocent, but now the Holy Spirit is making us new. He's working on us, on our words and our thoughts and our desires, and forming them into the shape of Jesus. As he works in us and with us, we can pray along with David, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my my redeemer. We can pray that with confidence, can't we? Knowing that because of the work of Jesus, God is already pleased with us. And how do we know? Because of his word. Because his word tells us that. Uh, We've been saying since coronavirus started for our benediction, as we send us out, as as we leave, we've been reading Romans 8 as a benediction every week, which it tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Like at the end of the service, we will read that passage again as a sweet reminder. So we can look out there and see the beauty of God. We can, we can see the creator who gives us good gifts. We, but, but he speaks to us not only through creation, but also through his word. He loves us so much that he gave us his word. And this word, through his grace, not only gives us good news of salvation, but also sustains us keeps us alive. And God uses this word to mold us, to change us, to lead us back to himself over and over and over again. Listen, life is hard, right? If the last three months have not concurred that, like if you're still like, I don't know if life is hard, like I'm not sure, like if you've been living the last three months, because life is hard, life is rough, And there will be moments when you will look only on the things that are in front of you, right? In the last three months, you can kind of look back and see that maybe you were looking at the conflict or complexity of life, and all you saw was the complexity of life or the chaos of life. You forgot to look up to see the creator of beautiful things. And God says to you today, look up, see me. There'll be moments when then you will take the created things, these good things, good gifts, and you will worship it instead of the creator. And God says to you, look up and see me. I made those things for you. Worship me. There'll be moments when you'll stop reading the Bible. Maybe as I say that, you're like, that's me. For whatever reason, you know, I gave a couple of reasons, but maybe it's another reason. And God says to you, open the word. I give you life. I'm the bread of life. I will sustain you. I am enough. 
There'll be moments when you will read for the wrong reason. And God says to you, come to me to be with me, period. So I don't know where you are or if, if any of these gutters really relate to you, when you, if you resonate with one of those. God in love is saying to you, I'm the beautiful creator. I give you good gifts. I love you enough to give you my word. Come and be with me. And when that happens, your life will not be the same. I will mold you. I will shape you. And I will take care of you. So in light of these sweet words, let's go in prayer to this kind of father who loves us this well and gives us good gifts. So let's pray.